The reading is taken from Peter's first letter, and it will be found on page 1217 of the Church Bibles. So it's 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Penny, for reading that so beautifully. Actually, I, I was listening to the, uh, the worship songs and then John's prayers. I was kind of thinking, I don't know that I need to say much more, really, because uh, with very little information to go on, they have uh, picked up the themes that I'm going to pick up uh, today in my, in my sermon. Uh, so well done for listening to the Holy Spirit. We're really, very impressed. Um, so this is um, the, the third, I think, in our summer sermon series uh, on uh, picking a favourite passage of the person preaching uh, and sharing some thoughts on it. And um, so I've chosen this passage from 1 Peter chapter 1. And the reason I've chosen it is it's a chapter that has meant a great deal to me because it's talking about things that I've experienced for myself. Um, And so what I'm going to do is share some of my story and why this passage means a lot to me and also look in a bit into why Peter wrote it, what he was saying and what it might mean for us today. So that's where we're going this morning. And so this was a letter written by the Apostle Peter, someone who knew Jesus well, that's not in dispute. Uh, And Peter was writing in about the early 60s AD, about 30 years after Jesus' time on earth. And he was writing to Christians scattered through Throughout what was Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey, as hopefully you can see on the map, the different areas that were referred to, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, those sorts of places. So 
he was writing to a uh, to communities, scattered communities of Christians that were undergoing persecution, uh, much as communities of Christians in the Middle East and further afield are in undergoing persecution today. So he was writing a letter to bring them hope in the midst of what they were suffering, and I would suggest that that message is as applicable to us today uh, as it was to them uh, then. You've only got to look at the news to see the truth of that. So I'm going to pray in a moment, but it would be really helpful if you did have your Bibles open at page 1217, uh, at the first chapter of Peter, if you would like to do that, uh, because I'll be referring to some of the things it says in there, and you might find it helpful just to have a look at what the passage actually says while I'm sharing my thoughts. But while we do that, let me say a word of prayer and then carry on from there. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that we gather here today... Uh, with whatever level of faith we have that has brought us along today. But I pray, Father, that today you will open our hearts, our minds, our ears and our spirits to hear what you want to say to encourage us this morning, to help us on our life journey. Amen. So let me share a little bit of my story, and apologies for those of you who've already heard it, some of this. But to start my story, uh, we need to go back about over 40 years, um, and this is me on the, uh, my last day of school. And if you want to know why I'm wearing a Viking helmet, you can come and find out afterwards, okay? But there, there is an answer to that. This is taken by my head teacher outside my school, just as I was about to leave. And um, at school, I studied um, science A-levels, uh, and... I was completely of the opinion that science has all the answers. Didn't come from a church-going family, didn't go to church very often at all, um, and I didn't think that God had any relevance to the answers to life, the universe and everything. Um, And uh, so this is where I was at at that point. Evolution was how we all came to be, etc., etc. And I went on to do a science-based dentistry degree, which... uh, just confirmed in me that science was absolutely the logical, rational answer to all sorts of questions that I might have. And this went on for a number of years, this viewpoint. Um, and I got married in this time to Steve. And, uh, and, um, and in about, oh, uh, 1982, I had my first child, Jenna. Here she is. Don't laugh, don't laugh at the bad hair. Uh, it was the early 80s, okay? Poodle cuts were in. <laughs> but anyway, I had Jenna. And... Um, And it was then that I started to wonder whether or not science could give me the answers to why this perfect, for so she was to me, perfect little being had come into being. Could evolution, with all its accidental mutations and and seemingly random changes in, in, uh, in life forms, end up with a human being in all its perfection. And that was when I just started to wonder. And we moved to Devon, and uh, as part of that wandering, I did wonder whether God might have some of those answers. So we started going, well, I started going to this tiny wee church out in the middle of nowhere. This is Jenna's baptism. She is running away in the bigger one. That's her legging it out the gate. Uh, And that's Steve with her looking most dischuffed. But however, I started going to this church. It consisted of about eight old ladies, a dog, and a a couple of moths. Uh, There was so little going on there. Um, so I'd, it didn't do much for me, I have to say, but it, it was such a small church congregation, I was far too embarrassed to stop going. So week by week, 
I went along and they were so delighted to have somebody, you know, sort of 70 years younger than they were. <laughs> no disrespect to the faithful congregation there. But that was, um, so that was a time we spent there. And then we moved up to London and uh, I then found a church to join where I actually started to hear the gospel. And that's where I had my second child. And there, that's Tim. And that's uh, me with Tim uh, at his baptism outside the little church, the the church that we went to. And so I started to hear something about Jesus and what he had done for me. And I really, really started to think about things at that point. And at the same time, Steve's sister, Jill, who lived in New Zealand, she became a Christian. And from a very safe distance of 12,000 miles, she was bombarding me with Christian books. Uh, And, you know, she wasn't even there to hide from the flak. And I put most of them on the shelf, but eventually I read one of them, which was called I Dared to Call Him Father by a lady called Bilquist Sheikh, who was a Muslim lady who'd converted to Christianity. One evening I was reading this book. It was January the 21st, 1986. um, And... This verse was in it from 1 Peter chapter 1. And I had a Bible by then and I turned to my Bible. And as I read this verse, uh, it like hit me right between the eyes. It it was actually a little further on from where we read uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And I realized I wanted God to be my father. I wanted to be his child. And I no longer wanted to live in ignorance. And then I read on and it said in verse 15, 16, Be holy, just as he who called you is holy. And so on my own, in my bedroom, on my knees, I said sorry to Jesus for going things my own selfish way up till that point asked him to come and into my heart, committed my life to him. And at that moment, and I can't explain it except as a sort of feeling of being washed clean, almost a physical feeling of being baptized uh, as Jesus accepted me uh, and gave me uh, his love and gave me all the things that that are his uh, became mine. And it was a really dramatic, life-changing moment in time for me. And there's lots of drama, even in the opening two verses of the passage in Peter. If you just look at verses 1 to 2, the Christians are scattered throughout the world. But Peter says they are chosen by God the Father. They're sanctified, set apart by God the Holy Spirit. And they're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Trinity, right there. And wouldn't you just love to be able to write something so theologically rich and succinct? I counted. It's 28 words. That's all. The gospel in 28 words. Worthy of first century Twitter, whatever that might have been called, scroller or something like that, I don't know. But here's Peter writing to this scattering, this diaspora of non-Jewish Christians, telling them that they are chosen, set apart and cleansed by Jesus. And these are people, remember, who Jews would have seen as unclean. Peter himself would have thought that. People who were living outside of God's commandments, who were not the chosen people. Not the Jewish people, but now Peter calls them God's chosen and holy people. And that's an extraordinary about turn by a really devout Jew, as Peter was. So what on earth could have caused this about turn? Well, not what, of course, but who. Who? 
Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, Peter had come to a new understanding of what it meant to belong to the people of God. Something that belonging that comes through a new spiritual birth. Not an accident of natural birth, like whether you happen to be born Jewish or not. Peter says in verse 3, it is this new birth that why we can have a living hope And he goes on to say we can hang on to this hope even when times are dark. And if anyone knew the truth of that, it was Peter. Here was a man who'd followed Jesus closely throughout his ministry. He'd seen and heard everything that Jesus did and taught. And this was the man who on the night that Jesus went, uh, before Jesus went to the cross, denied him flatly three times, I don't know him. He saw the agony that Jesus suffered on the cross as he died. He went through his own torment of guilt, knowing what he'd said in denying his saviour. As dawn rose on Easter Sunday, how could there possibly be any hope? Because it seemed that everything was lost. But yet Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? Peter was one of the first people who went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. He saw and he wondered and he left, wondering what had happened. Then he met risen Jesus many times. And during that period, his hope was reborn as he received restoration from Jesus, forgiveness for the three times that he had denied him, three times Jesus restored him. And finally, of course, he was present when Jesus ascended into glory on his last uh, physical day on earth. So as you read verses 3 and 4, Peter's joy and enthusiasm for what he knows to be true, it just leaps off the page. Here it is, and I'm going to read the message version here, which gives a little more of that. What a God we have! And how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a new life. And we have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. Isn't it breathless, exciting stuff? Yeah, great. Some of you think it is. I do. New birth is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. He rescued us from certain death resulting from a life of not knowing or acknowledging God, we can be born again, a new creation, a new beginning. And that's what I felt on that night in January 1986. My new life started there and then. Now, I just want to make an aside here, because I know that the experience of some or many of you is not a one-off life-changing experience. I know that. For some of you, you've been Christians all your life. You've never known anything different. For some of you, it was a gradual dawning and realization that you were a Christian, that you were, that you were saved. And that's wonderful. I, I bless you because that's brilliant. You've been a Christian for m- many more years than, than I was. But you know what? Even if you can't put a date on it, the, the, the principle is just the same. You have a life given over in obedience to Christ, and that's a new spiritual life, just the same. So don't exclude yourself because you haven't had the same experience to the one I'm talking about. But Peter gives us no time at all to hang around basking in the joy of our new life through faith. He immediately looks forward to the implications for the future. 
And it's the hope of our future inheritance when Jesus returns to earth in all his glory, bringing about the new heaven and the new earth uh, at the end of time. This is an inheritance, Peter says, that will not perish, it will not spoil, and it will not fade. It's a future assured in glory with Christ. Now, inheritance, I don't know if you know, was something that was a foundational concept for the Jewish people, something they held very strongly because God gave the promised land to the people of Israel as their inheritance with a lasting right of ownership. And while they spent 40-odd years bimbling around in the wilderness, going nowhere really, it was this promise of this inheritance that held them firm, held them strong. And they too were strangers in their land, just as Peter addressed, uh, calls those who he was addressing his letter to. And they would not have missed that connection, actually to the uh, people of Israel and the promised land. And the people of Israel finally crossed into the promised land and they laid claim to their inheritance, of course. But the land, the promised land, was repeatedly invaded and ravaged and pillaged and plundered. An inheritance that perished. Their land was ruined at times. But our inheritance in Christ, says Peter, will never perish. Secondly, the promised land of Israel was spoiled It was defiled by the the Israelites' idolatry and their sin, their disobedience to God and their intermarriage with pagan peoples who lived around them. But it's impossible for our inheritance, our future, to be defiled and spoiled. And thirdly, our inheritance will never fade. The The Greek word Peter uses for fade here, it just sort of means withering and drying up. Because the promised land wasn't over, not only was it ravaged by invaders, but it also had periods of drought, parched times in judgment from God. And the prophet Isaiah writes, the grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of our God stands forever. And our inheritance is that. Our inheritance stands forever. So although Israel's inheritance is an earthly foreshadowing of our heavenly inheritance, it's very different Our heavenly inheritance will not perish, will not spoil, and will never fade. Our inheritance isn't simply land. It's our whole salvation. All that God gives us and all that's his becomes ours. Uh, This is something that the uh, eminent theologian John Stott wrote about this first chapter of Peter. Uh, He says, Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. Isn't that great? Our hope anchored in the past, remaining in the present, and will be completed in the future. And if you look at verse 5, not only is this inheritance kept for us, we are kept safe for it. We are shielded by God's power, says Peter. Remembering that this letter was written to encourage people who were being actively persecuted. Shielded here, the word means being kept under guard or in protective custody. But God doesn't keep us shielded and separate from the world. We're to live in the world, even though we're not to be of the world. Peter says it's our faith that keeps us under God's protection. And we need to hold on to our faith Hold on to that protection. Whatever's going on around us or happening to us. 
And it's this faith that Peter goes on to talk about in verses 6 to 9. A faith that will be proved by all kinds of trials. Now many of you will know the truth that when we go through hard times, when we look back, often we can say, this is where we have grown, where our faith has been increased. Times when it's tested And everything's going well, it's great. But when it's tough times, that's when we really experience the testing. And the Apostle James made the same point in a letter that he wrote. He wrote this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I don't know where you are at the moment, what sort of tough times you're going through but uh, about two years after my experience of coming to faith I was actually in a very very different place literally and uh, by geography and also spiritually Uh, we'd moved abroad I had two small children a stroppy toddler and a preschooler who was pretty demanding any of you at that stage in life, you have my deep sympathy because you know what I, I remember what it was like and you know what it's like. It's a really tough time. Exhaustion's the norm. And especially if you have a husband like I did who was often away or who was working long hours. And I felt quite lonely as well because being overseas, we were far from any family support. And much as you love the little beggars, they can grind you down at times, can't they? So they can. But I began to doubt my faith in all that. So asking myself questions like, was I really saved? Did it really happen? Was God really there? I had lots of fears and questions. Now, God was good, and he put some really great, mature Christians across my path at that time. And they answered some of my questions, but actually the doubts didn't really go away. Then one day, someone told me about the Holy Spirit didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I had a clue. I hadn't really thought about him, really. It was someone that I didn't know much about. And she explained that we can ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we should go on continually asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Owen says, I didn't know about that. What do I do? And so there we were, one afternoon, her and me, on our knees in the middle of our sitting room with her two kids and my two kids hurtling around and she prayed for God to fill me with his Holy Spirit and he wonderfully did and I had a second really strong experience of the presence of God uh, and I began to speak in tongues and the doubts fled at that point and I had the most amazing feeling which the words of Peter in verse 8 describe perfectly though you do not see him You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And indeed, I was filled with this joy. I knew for sure that I was saved. And I knew that this glorious inheritance was mine, no matter what I was going through. And I can honestly say since then, even though some really tough times have been and gone, that has never left me That joy, that faith has kept me going through all kinds of trials. And indeed, Peter says that those trials will refine us, even as gold is purified by fire. And however however durable gold is, it is ultimately perishable because it belongs to this world. But our, our faith, if it's genuine, is not perishable and it will preserve us right up until the last day. 
So in a nutshell, this short extract from Peter's letter is saying that through faith, we have our salvation for now. Through hope, through faith, we have hope for our final end. And through, through faith, we have joy for the time in between. And this isn't a really happy, clappy kind of joy. This is a deep-seated joy that doesn't depend on circumstances, but depends on our faith in a loving, wonderful, faithful, everlasting God. Through faith, we have our salvation for now. Through faith, we have our hope for our final end. And through faith, we can know joy for the time in between. So how do we respond to this? Well, I think it's quite good to ask some questions of of ourselves. Sorry. What sort of faith do I have? This is us asking ourselves. Do I know for sure, without any doubt, that I have been saved? Or are you going through a period like I did, where you were just questioning that? Am I certain that I have this future inheritance? In other words, if I died today, would I be sure that I would be going to be with my Lord Jesus? And have I got a genuine faith that allows me to endure sufferings and trials with a deep-seated joy because I simply know this time is only temporary and my future inheritance and hope will never spoil nor fade. So if the honest answer to any of those questions for you is no, I don't have that faith, I don't have that hope, I don't have that joy and I'm not sure of my salvation, then maybe in a moment you'd like to come and receive prayer like I did when I was full of doubts. And I know it's not easy to come forward in front of everyone, which is what we'll invite you to do in a moment. I know that's not easy, but you know what? It wasn't easy for me to kneel down in that lounge with all those dratted kids whizzing around, wanting to know what was going on. But God came to me there, and I know he'll come to you here if you come and ask him uh, it with, with sort of uh, truthfulness in your heart. So it's never easy, but today could just be the right time for you God's time for you. Time to put your doubts to rest. Time to restore your faith if it needs restoring. And time to receive the joy of the Lord if that's not your experience at the moment. So we're going to take a moment of silence to think about whether you need to be real with God now. Whether you want to accept the gift that he might be offering you gift of salvation, gift of being rescued by him from a life of not knowing him, a gift of hope, a gift of joy. And then I'll invite the ministry team to come up and please come and receive prayer today before we continue. So a moment of silence now. Father God, I thank you that you offer every one of us the gift of eternal hope, joy, and life in Jesus. 
Thank you that you never retract that offer, that it's never too late to take it up. Thank you that when Jesus left this earth, you sent your Holy Spirit to fill us and equip us and strengthen our faith. So, Lord, I pray, would you meet with us now? Could I invite you just to stand? Stand at this moment. If the ministry team would like to just come up.